Welcome back to the Buddhist Millionaire Podcast. I am Matt Jardine, your host and author of How to Be a Buddhist Millionaire, Nine Practical Steps to Being Happy in a Materialist World. How are you all? A little bit of housekeeping first. This podcast, as you know, is powered by coffee and very little else. Certainly not talent on my side. So if you like what you hear, please feel free to buy me and my guest a coffee at my Buy Me a Coffee page. The link is in the description somewhere to this episode. If you love us, you will find out. All right, what have I been up to this week? So we're coming to the end of uh, Ramadan, actually. Actually, by the time this airs, it will be well over. Um, And I have to say, this is my second Ramadan that I've observed, and I would recommend it to anyone, irrespective of religion or kind of idea or creed. I would recommend the whole kind of fasting and sort of introspective month to anyone um, and I've actually this year I've recorded my experiences in a thing called my Ramadan diary which is it's on my Instagram and Facebook page so have a little look at those which brings me quite neatly to my guest today as many of you know Sheza and I have moved to Amman we're currently living in Amman Sherry is teaching and I'm writing full-time as well as of course I'm doing the show as well of course um, now I've been in martial arts so long that it's kind of a fundamental part of who I am. So wherever I go, I always have to find somewhere to train because if I don't train, I'm more miserable than I usually am. So I'm a better person for training than not. So anyway, quite by chance, one day I stumbled across this kind of this small academy called Muscat MMA that was literally round the corner to my house here. And I have to say, in all the places I've trained around the world, I'm very lucky to have trained in lots of different places. Few have been as welcoming as the team at Muscat MMA. And the owner of there is my guest today. But much, much, much more than a gym owner. He's also a surgeon, as you do, a UFC doctor, a martial artist in his own right. And actually, to be honest, just simply a fabulous human being who is clearly very successful and loves what he does. He's kind of filled with passion. So please welcome my very, very special guest, Dr. Aljalanda Mascari. Hello, brother. Hello, brother. Nice to see you. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. And thank you very much. I'm actually flattered by your kind words. Thank you very much. They're all, they're all true, man. I I tell you, I, um, you know, I, I interview a lot of people and I meet a lot of people around the world, as you do. And you are one of the most passionate men I've come across. And, and here's the thing, right? I've found this to be true. Those, this adage, you, you see, those that know, right, rarely show. Do you know what I mean? And I found this, that the big talkers in life usually have done nothing. And then the, the happy people, like I didn't, for example, I had no idea you're a surgeon and as good as you are, because when people meet you, you're just kind of very low key, very welcoming. And you just had no, I just found out by chance, I think from Wada. And that's always the way with people who are high level of stuff. They don't show off about it. It's, it's us little guys who show off about stuff we can't do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, um, uh, it's the whole uh, idea of the, uh, the stress and, uh, the responsibility that comes with the job title that makes me kind of not flash it out as first meeting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a surgeon. Yeah, <laughs> I, yes. yeah. Nice to meet you. I'm a surgeon. I'm going to take your hands clean off if you must. <laughs> 
Well, we do take cans clean off jujitsu, not with surgery, but that, that's more fun, actually. <laughs> so, listen, so how long have you, because at the moment, right, you're in the UK at the moment, we've kind of had a home switch. I'm in your home, I'm in Amman, and you're in the UK, aren't you? Exactly. Um, uh, I've lived uh, in Bahrain for more than 20 years. That's ah. when I actually started the whole uh, Med, I started med school in Bahrain. Uh, I completed my specialization in training, orthopedics in Bahrain. And that's when I was involved actively in MMA. I started martial arts at a very young age through karate and taekwondo. But during med school, that's when I met the, uh, the founders of uh, the Bahraini Mixed Martial Arts Federation. And we started as a small, humble gym. And I was there for more than a decade and sort build up. Uh, I was actually one of the founding members of the medical committee in the uh, federation over there. Um, it, I kind of found myself in martial arts. I became a better person, a better father, definitely a more disciplined surgeon, if you'd say. You, 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 you even you. think it affects you kind of uh, from something as high level of surgery as well, you'd say? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, after spending all that time in Bahrain, it was time to come back home for various professional and personal reasons. To Oman home. Oman. Oman home, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And finally, after coming back to Oman with all the uh, drama around the pandemic, I finally managed to uh, uh, get an acceptance for a fellowship training post in the UK. And... That's when the home switch happened. <laughs> you arriving to Oman, yeah. settling down, me arriving to uh, Colchester and sunny Essex in the UK. Yes, yeah, sunny Essex, sunny, sunny Essex. It's a bit different from here, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, um, I'll be here for uh, two years, six months down, 18 months to go. Did you say a fellowship, did you say? Yes. Uh, so what does that what does that entail then? What what are you doing? Are you studying? Are you kind of working on a new skill? What are you doing? Yes. Uh, with uh, medicine and practicing surgery, uh, it's more of an apprenticeship training program oh, culture, really. Okay. Right. Uh, regard, regardless of the the uh, amount of reading and exams that you do, it's about the technical and practical skills that you develop and learn over the years. Um, these things can't be taught over YouTube videos or any kind of textbooks. Yeah. You actually have to see, do under supervision until you develop the skills to actually perform these uh, right, procedures. Right. Um, we do that through our training as soon as we graduate from med school. But as you progress in your career, the demand for higher skills becomes uh, higher. The demand for... Um, higher training or uh, more knowledge and experience becomes uh, um, essential Mm. and uh, you have to actually seek out these centers or medical uh, establishments to that that do these kind of uh, training or kind of procedures or uh, medical practice that you are hoping or aspiring to specialize in and you have to uh, apply for a training program under certain consultants or certain specialists where you spend anywhere between six months to two years, sometimes even more. And uh, you develop that knowledge, you gain that knowledge, you develop that experience throughout that training. 
Wow. And are you, am I right in saying this? Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you specializing in forearm and wrist and hand surgery? Is that correct? Yes. Uh, basically, um, it's upper limb surgery with upper a special limbs. focus on, yes. So anywhere, anywhere from the shoulder to the fingertip. But my main interest is uh, hand and wrist surgery. Okay. And, and why is that? Did you just wake up going, oh, wow. I mean, cause it, it's amazing just considering what we, yeah. what we do with the hands. Is that what happened to you or, or did someone encourage you down that field or what? <laughs> wow. This is where, um, this is a very funny story, actually. Um, this is when going from doing what you love to loving what you do. That's a great line. Uh, I love that. I love that. Uh, as soon as I graduated from med school, I was, uh, really passionate about uh, starting a career in surgery, practically in general surgery. I think it was just the influence of too much Grey's Anatomy and stuff like that. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, are you from a, are you from a family of uh, surgeons, but, but, or just a family of TV watchers who just, and there it is, Grey's Anatomy. It is, <laughs> but it's interesting though, right? I'm joking aside, actually how TV does inspire certain things. I mean, how many of us started martial arts because of Bruce Lee movies and Rocky movies and all that sort of stuff? Exactly. Exactly, exactly. I do come from a family of doctors, actually. Uh, my uncle is a well-known orthopedic and trauma surgeon who uh, started his career in the UK, and now okay. he is uh, uh, in Oman. I've got uh, a lot of family members, including my own sister, who's a doctor as well. Actually, but, I found uh, your sister when I was researching you. Oh. I, I think I found your sister. Uh, yeah, I think I saw that. I was like, oh, doctor as well. I must I must ask him about that. Okay. <laughs> She's currently doing her fellowship as well in Ireland, in Dublin. Okay. Yeah. So um, I wanted to become a surgeon, not just because of the TV shows, actually. It's because of the charisma and personality that I've seen uh, in my tutors when I was in med school. Hmm. And I was also uh, passionate about doing things with my hand and seeing fast results and one more thing is what i would call patient satisfaction rate okay uh, patients are more happier um, or you see them more satisfied with things that are done actively and um, in a short time span for example if you have a patient with a chronic medical illness and you start prescribing them medications and seeing them in the hospital for a long time and seeing the progress up slowly yes hopefully they will be satisfied with treatment if they are if the treatment is successful but you can't compare that to the joy and pain and, and relief of patients who underwent surgery from acute illness mm, or, yeah 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 something like that. so that's interesting because that because that occur it feels to me like um you know all medicine but certainly as you say when you get those kind of immediate changes it's like massive problem solving is it problem solving where you go right to the very core of it and you fix it there's no kind of gradual change there's the issue let's go straight to it let's fix it i mean it's it's pretty much that isn't it exactly um uh, another thing is that um the surgeons that we met during med school were some were people we always aspire to in all aspects of life unfortunately the materialistic aspect as well. Okay. All of the surgeons would show up in fancy, sometimes even Italian sports cars and yeah, yeah, sports yeah, yeah. cars. Yeah. Well dressed, looking great. Like it's like you would see, like celebrities walking throughout the hospital, and they were always respected. Uh, besides 
aside from their narcissistic personalities. I was going to say about this, because there's that kind of cliche, there's the TV cliche about the kind of the sociopathic yeah. uh, side of, of, of having to shut out emotions. Is that just an illusion? or Because I, I, for example, don't think, I mean, I'm not trained, obviously, but I don't think I could imagine myself cutting at any point into a human being. So you do, do you have to sort of separate your brain a bit? Is there a little bit of that? There is a lot of it, not right. just a little bit. Okay. I, um, I think, I think it's just like a defense mechanism. Yeah, sure. Uh, because cutting up people is not normal, normal. by any circumstances, no. regardless of the, of the cause. If you're a serial killer or a surgeon, yeah. doing that is not normal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's completely different from uh, uh, that's completely different. I mean, with human beings, um, not to take anything from uh, livestock owners or butchers, but it's absolutely abnormal to just put a blade or a knife to a human being, regardless of the cause. Of I've, course. Heard, I've heard this in crime, in crime work, actually, that they say that the worst crime from a murder point of view is 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 a knife attack because it has a degree of uh, sociopathy that nothing else can can get over like a gun can be quick and you haven't thought about it but a knife attack is a definite plan thing and something in a in person's head has to be a little bit um, we're talking about crime now I'm not talking about surgery yes. and th- <laughs> yeah. and they say that they say that you know if someone uses a knife to to uh, hurt someone it's very different from using a gun or even a, a strike it's uh, which i find yes. you know, it's kind of similar to what you're saying there right yes so, uh, and also because of the, the stress associated with it when anything can go wrong and you might actually uh, be the cause of the patient losing a limb or a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's all that stress that people kind of uh, hide or camouflage with a strong personality. Sure, okay. So you'd see that some, some surgeons, oh, well, actually a lot of them are... Um, Foul-mouthed, strong personality, sometimes narcissistic, and uh, always hot-headed. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it would make sense. That kind of uh, pressure cooker of of stress, right? I mean, that's that's a lot yeah. to hold in, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you find then? Have you found that just thinking back to what you said, you've been in martial arts for so many years. Is 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 martial arts a good release for you then, as a as a professional at that level? Do you find it helps just kind of clear out the debris? Um, that and many reasons. Um, the reason I started as started in martial arts was my father. Um, during my childhood, I wasn't much of an athlete. I was more of a cash potato. <laughs> and my, and uh, my father said, no, that's it. Uh, you're my son. Love you so much. But life isn't going to be easy. Yeah. I was gaining tremendous weight. I mean, literally, if I be a... Is it okay if I can be a bit explicit? Of course, of course, absolutely. <laughs> what? Basically, uh, half of my back was just my buttocks. <laughs> wow. You're, really, you're, a, you're a big boy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, round barrel shape. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, that's when my father uh, enrolled me into karate classes. And that was under uh, the tutelage of uh, Master Farid Shahib. He was the founder of Karate in Oman. Okay. And I just kicked off from there. I mean, I wasn't a good um, team sports player, but after I started martial arts, I became a better athlete, more confident. 
Uh, I was picked up more often for basketball teams and uh, football. Yeah, because you're you're well. you're a tall guy, right? You're a big guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, instead of being that big blob of fat, I become became that big muscular guy, and uh, I just kicked off from there. I, I realized that I was actually doing much better in martial arts than other team sports, mm. and um, I just went from one sport to the other, looking for a different level of challenge and uh, achievement. Uh, unfortunately, when I rolled into med school, I made that mistake of playing soap football. If you've heard about it, yeah, they yeah, play yeah, football yeah. in the field. Yeah. And injured both of my knees. Hence, I wasn't able to um, continue in Taekwondo. And of course, as you grow older, your flexibility and aerial maneuvers diminish. Yeah. And that's when I was reintroduced into martial arts in the form of boxing. Yeah, where were you now, in Bahrain or in Amman? That was when I, I moved to Bahrain for med school. Yeah. And the group I was training with were doing boxing, and that's when I met my first MMA instructor, uh, Mohammed Shahid, who is currently the CEO of Brave Combat Federation. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, right by wow. that time, he was uh, uh, an active uh, fighter who uh, was based in Bahrain, and uh, he trained in a gym that's, that was actually smaller than our gym. Wow. In Muscat MMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that gym actually, uh, well, a lot of champions graduated from that gym yeah. in different sports. And, yeah. and I found a long lost passion in MMA because you've got all these disciplines that you can mix up with an objective of overcoming yourself before overcoming your opponent. That's a beautiful description. I, I I really like that description of MMA and not one you hear. I like that. A kind of kind of combining all those skills, uh, overcoming yourself before you're an opponent. That's lovely. Yeah, that's that's absolutely bang yeah. on. Nice. Because yeah, well, the reason why I said that is that most of the time, almost 90% of the time, you lose because you fail in yourself. You're out of air, your stamina drops, you uh, become clumsy, you don't stick to the basics, you don't yeah. stick to the, your game plan. Yeah. And then you you give your opponent the chance to overcome you. Yeah. But yeah. if you stick to your basics, you stick to your training, you overcome your weaknesses, then your opponent has to be really good to overcome you. Yeah, yeah, that's and good. Amongst that group, I was the only one who was in uh, the medical field. And every time someone would have an, uh, an injury or something like that, I was the guy to uh, yeah. turn to, yes. <laughs> Go and fix On so many occasions, I would show up in the uh, gym with my suturing kit or my needles and syringes just to drain up their cauliflower ears. And, yeah. uh, and that's how it went for a very long time. And uh, it was just uh, an upward, well, just, Upward journey from there. Uh, the gym turned out, uh, developed into a um, basis of federation with the uh, uh, sponsorship of uh, His Highness uh, Sheikh Khalid bin Hamid. Okay, uh, wow. wow, that's when we uh, that was when KHK was established, and I was part of the team, uh, at least from the medical side, not from the athletic side, because we had a lot of. Very, very talented guys. Yeah, sure. And we're, we're all getting on by that point, right? We leave those young boys yeah. to do all that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not to mention that a lot of the guys who came uh, to the team from uh, Dagestan, from Brazil, from the UK, a lot of world and champions there. At some stage, we had Habib Nurmagomedov, Frankie Habib Edgar, 
James Gallagher. Frankie Edgar yeah. is absolute. I, I uh, is one of my heroes. I love Frankie Edgar. He was one of. I just used to love his movement, his tenor, everything about Frankie Edgar. I love his stuff. Yeah, um, I met him personally a couple of times, and I must say, as a human being, he is one of the best. I'm glad one you said that because they say you should you should never meet your uh, your idols, don't they? Just in case they turn out oh, to yeah. be an absolute ass. But actually, Frankie, that hearing that has made my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the beautiful thing about this is that when I was involved in it uh, actively in Bahrain, uh, of course, now I'm. Uh, distance away from them but i always maintain contact they're actually family um the beauty of that is that all of these uh, celebrities that you see on tv when you actually spend time with them behind the scenes i mean yeah. in their training camps uh, when they're doing their weigh-ins their competitions their post pre-fight medicals post-fight medicals medical checkups when training you discover the personal aspect in their lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The struggles they went through, their ups and downs, their absolute lows, when they're at ground bottom and when they're sky high. You live with them. You go through their best and worst experiences, and that literally imprints on you personally. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, it humanizes them. In fact, that's a really interesting point. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast, actually, because, um, I mean, I, I've, I've said this before for people who, who've heard it, but for new listeners, I first learned this idea from working with Princess Diana that when once, so on a screen, TV screen, news screen, now internet screen, everything looks kind of big and bold. And you can, you can have that us and them effect, can't you? They can be kind of non-human. Do you know what I mean? But actually, as you say, when you start working with them and you have these normal conversations, and as you described, you see behind the scenes, you realize, wow, this is a, yes, a, a, a great set of skills, but it's a set of skills that someone has developed. And these are normal people. So it makes kind of humanity a little bit smaller. It stops the us and them version. We start to have things in common and we become humans with different skills. Yes, higher or lower levels of skills, but essentially it's something you can go, ah, oh, okay, Khabib's a... A normal guy all right he's got the great double leg wrap and you can't get out of his grip fine but he's a normal guy who's developed those skills just as you have with your surgery i would you know maybe i have with my writing and, and it makes it much more achievable i think that's very yeah that's a really good point i think more of that getting in other people's shoes i know this is quite a big leap <laughs> to make on a whatever morning it is thursday morning i think would stop world wars if we spent more time in other people's shoes Absolutely. I, I, I 100% agree. It's not about, uh, uh, it's not a different level of conversation, but that's absolutely true. I mean, um, the reason why I am actively involved in combat sports medicine, um, being a cage side doctor, apart, uh, as well as being an orthopedic and trauma surgeon, is that um, violence is not something that we would normally go with for a day living mm. most of these people if they would have different circumstances in life being a bit more privileged would have chosen different careers oh that's interesting you, you'd you'd say that about a lot of the fighters that you met that if if circumstances were different i possibly they wouldn't be a pro fighter that's an interesting thing absolutely because um if you look at our upbringing our modern upbringing and people um in let's say in um uh, communities 
who are more privileged mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. where education is available, yeah. good health care. You'd see parents raising their children for more stable lifestyles mm. or more stable jobs or careers and not actively pushing them. Oh, you don't just wake up in the morning and look at your seven or eight-year-old son and say, I'm, I want him to become a pro boxer because that's associated with risk that you don't want your children to be involved with. Yeah. You don't wake up and say, you might want your child to become a sports man or sportswoman, but not into martial arts yeah, as yeah, yeah. a career. A martial artist, yes. But not fighter an different. Active fighter. Fighters are different from martial artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different. Absolutely. 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 Both saying that though, isn't there some weird, and you and I have both experienced this <laughs> but together and separately, that there is something in us, even, even as people who've kind of, you know, we've we've grown up in pretty privileged societies and we're okay. We're not having to fight for a living, is my is my point. Yes. But even we have that kind of secret buzz about mauling each other on the mats. There's something kind of primal about it that affects all of us, where we just kind of, there's something about controlling a guy and getting him to tap, submit, you know, give up, whatever it was. There's something about it, isn't there? It's instinct. Mm. It's instinct. Um, yes, supremacy, overcoming the odds or... Uh, dominance it's an instinct it's yeah. it's animalistic before being uh uh something human yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's one of the strongest instincts that you can experience and you you have um i think that's what keeps fighters going on because if you think about it the amount of physical and mental abuse that you go through to become a successful fighter mm. is just not something that normal humans would stand they, they won't survive that no 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 and um all of these most of the guys that i've worked and trained with uh, in the martial arts world and the combat sports field have had tough experiences that drove them into perfecting something that they otherwise would not choose right they right. become good at it to the degree that they loved what they do and they became good at it and then that became their sole source of or main source of income and main source of stability that brings us back to the point where i said uh, i'm was supposed to be a general surgeon rather than an orthopedic surgeon and unfortunately when i applied for the training posts uh, as a medical student i was uh, involved with a lot of uh, orthopedic surgeons in bahrain during my training they treated me like their younger brother right so uh during my interviews, I listed general surgery as my first choice. Orthopedic surgery was actually my third choice. But the orthopedic department in Bahrain said, look, look, look here, son. We want you. Join us. And it was a no-brainer. You don't go to the people who you have to prove yourselves, yourself to join. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. people who welcome you. you. You know by then that they'll bring out the best in you. And that's yeah, that's a good it. point. I, I mean, it, it makes sense to kind of take advantage of the the gifts and the past that are open to you, right? I mean, that's you know that yeah. that does make sense. Yeah, and that orthopedic surgeon. Although by that time I didn't know anything about orthopedics apart from medical school knowledge, mm. which was obsolete by then. But um, here I am, more than fifteen years later. Fifteen uh, years. Wow. Become a consultant. Yes, almost fifteen years. <laughs> wow! So real that yeah. So you you know you're like a yeah. 
third Dan, fourth Dan and beyond. That's the sort of time frame for that, right? Isn't it? Yeah. He's like a fourth yeah. Dan. In, I always, always in my head, I equate, where is my standard in my world to some sort of black belt scale? Yeah. So that's like high <laughs> level. You need the proper, you know, the, you're the real deal. Wow. Incredible. I, I wouldn't say that because um, uh, with medicine, uh, the the teaching doesn't stop. So the learning process doesn't stop as with life as well. Mm-hmm. So, at any stage in time, there is someone who's definitely, there are loads of people who are more experienced and more knowledgeable than you are. And just like you have to do your best to reach the highest that you can and hand over the baton to the newer generation as well so that they could keep on developing themselves. I said 15 years because I took into account when I was actively involved in medicine. That was after I've completed my bachelor's in uh, medical sciences just before my MD. Right. And uh, yeah. All in all, I grant. Yeah, well, you can say almost fifteen years. <laughs> so, what's the what's the what's the kind of the, the the step after this? So, two years after you not qualify, you are qualified. Two years after you you kind of reach this new level, what is what's the game plan? Do you come back here? Do you open a clinic that deals with hands? What's the what's the end? Game? Um, uh, well, th- there is no end game. To okay, there is no end game. It's just like uh, one step to the other. Um, at the moment, I'm. Uh, uh, a senior specialist back home uh, here in the UK. I'm a trauma and orthopedic fellow. The next step is to become a consultant, okay. which uh, uh, thankfully by all my tutors' feedback when I was Bahrain, I was at the level of an acting consultant by then. Oh. But the whole experience here in the UK is has been humbling, really. The NHS is a completely different beast. It's a, it's so a different it's, it's a different beast, isn't it? But what have from from an actual professional working inside of it? I, I comment as a you know as a, as an occasional patient. But what have you what have you found? It's a very different way, isn't it? That whole kind of funded uh, medicine. What what do you, what have you found? It's um, all inspiring. Well, overwhelming, Over- overwhelming, over- in all aspects. Mm. I mean, the scale is just massive. It's a massive, massive, massive business, isn't it? Yes, yes. And the quality of care provided is top notch. Is it? I, is it actually? It's quite nice to hear that from us. So, because yes. you never know, but right? You, I don't know as a patient, but okay. Um, uh, things that the problem is is that it's free healthcare for a very very large population, mm. and obviously that puts a lot of strain on the the financing, the human resource, and all the aspects about that. Uh, there is always drawback to that because you're always short of resources, and there was always long waiting lists, and there sure. was always a lot of logistical problems, administrative problems. And if you're a patient who's waiting for a surgery and your waiting list is, let's say, you put on a waiting list that's six months long or longer, the only thing you would receive from the patients is just negative feedback or frustration. Mm. Mm. And uh, private healthcare in the UK is not affordable by average standards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's I think that's one of the main sources why a lot of negative feedback comes. And uh, But on the other hand, Looking at the quality of care provided, it's just inspiring. Yeah, because med- my my brother's wife is um she's a nurse. You know, you know when you come out of you know you come out of surgery and you have that little gap of care before they send yeah. you off. She's she's that. She gave me the title. I can't remember what it is, but she does that bit right. The after- <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what it. Is. But but my point is the people who get into the likes of 
kind of medicine and nursing and surgeons. I mean, they're driven. They want to help people. So they, they are often filled with people who, who care about other people. And sometimes from what I see and hear, and again, I'm only really referencing what I see and hear on the news, is that that can be a little bit handicapped because it's such a kind of behemothic business that is naturally underfunded because you can't have something that size and keep running it that they, everyone's kind of pushed to their limits and you saw that a little bit quite over covid didn't you everyone pushed push push to their limits limited resources but still that workforce who care was still showing up and doing what they can it's it's amazing they are i mean heroes really the medical professional absolutely. heroes it's incredible absolutely absolutely i mean um i've always heard about the nhs but i've managed to experience it firsthand as soon as I arrived in the UK and it's just overwhelmingly inspiring in the sense that um, I'm just lost for words on how to describe it properly but I literally we can idolize people who work at the NHS do they deserve more credit yes they do deserve more much more credit does the system have rooms of improvement? Uh, absolutely, yes. Oh, there was a question all of things do, I think. There was a question every, yes. And is it sustainable? I think at this level, it might not be. No. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of the Arab countries are basing their healthcare uh, infrastructure on the NHS model. That might be helpful when you have some uh, an overflow of cash with a small population. Yeah. But It's time for the Featured Friends section. The section of the show where we feature a friend. Great name, by the way, guys. Totally see what you did there. Welcome to the Featured Friends section of the show. This is the section where we give a shout out to a small business or service provider. In my own career, I've been given so many legs up by supporters that uh, this is something I just want to do to give back. So today, we're going to talk about my friend Jamie. Jamie Gargett, who owns JG Sports Massage. It's located on Hailing Island, and it's a sports remedial and rehab clinic specializing in increasing your mobility while decreasing your pain, leading to improved performance his website is jgmassage.co.uk now quick note up front i actually haven't had a treatment from him yeah we've been friends online through the jiu-jitsu judo community but two things the feedback i've had from people who have had treatments from him is amazing um they absolutely love what he does for them so that's that's good but also, he's just one of those guys who is constantly supporting. He's clearly doing good work, right? He's an absolute master of what he does. But he's always helping and supporting others. So he's a perfect example of Buddhist millionaire. So one more time, JG Sports Massage, the website, jgmassage.co.uk. All right, let's get back to the show. Yes. Of Mr. Basic Medical Care. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does it work? Because I've only the the little medical care I've had here. I, I had my COVID jabs, and I had a small, I had that small infection on my leg after spider bite. Anyway, but I just paid for it. But how does it? I actually don't know how it works over here in Oman. What is the what is the the system here? Is it is it is it fee paid? Does does the government pay it? How does it work? Oh uh, well, um, I think the uh, medical care in Oman. Uh, I've actually worked for a very brief period in Oman, less than four years. Uh, most of my uh, healthcare 
jobs or in Bahrain. Right. In Oman, um, the main provider of healthcare is the Ministry of Health, and it okay. provides free healthcare for entitled uh, citizens that are Omani national government employees and um, they do have a list of criteria right. uh, as for uh, foreigners um, they are supposed to be having their health care in private uh, institutions private medical uh, establishments yeah. and that's paid so unless you have an insurance that covers it you will be having to pay for it yeah. you can have uh, health care at the Ministry of Health but I think it's against the fee I believe so so it's Kind of okay, so they sort of it. sort of mix and match it. So the sort of kind of the Amani Nationals get the sort of the NHS version, and they well, mate, that makes yeah. sense. That kind of makes sense. And, okay, yeah, interesting. So let's let's transition a little bit into so uh, your work at UFC and kind of cage side oh. doctor because that's that's also very interesting. It fits into. Um, remember, you guys who are listening, of course, the whole idea of this podcast is a lot of people are tuning in because you know they're not doing work they necessarily love and here you are doing work that you love but it also transitioned into different uh kind of avenues of it which is fascinating so yeah let's get into a bit of cage side doctoring now what is that like watching pro fighters basically put the limbs that you fix on the line before you every step along the way <laughs> you think i've only just fixed that and now boom, uh, they're smashing it up again <laughs> well yeah it's not like a, you're a glass maker and see someone shattering your glass and doing bad things together. Um, the whole idea of me being involved in it was that uh, it started, of course, through my passion in martial arts, and I've discovered how beautiful it is and how much I have become as a better person, as a better father, as a doctor because of martial arts. Um, I, as being the only doctor at the gym that time, I've always noticed that there is always a demand for a person with a mentality to understand and accept. As a reflex, a knee-jerk reflex, all doctors are trained to prevent injury before or prevent harm before actually treating harm. Yeah. So it's a special breed of doctors to actually uh, understand. It's not about understanding the necessary evil, but understanding that what they're doing that's a really yeah. good point, actually. And not, and kind of not, that's a really good point. And not judging. Cause I remember through my whole careers from rugby, from martial arts, you know, you get some doctors who just say, you're stupid. Why are you coming to me expecting me to stitch up that nose again? And then you get others who've done a bit who go, okay, well, you know, maybe duck or whatever. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Something who understands what these guys and girls are going through. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've before being involved as an active ringside doctor, I was a team doctor. Like I wasn't really a team doctor. I was like a doctor went to my friends and training partners. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like a family. Yeah. And I've attended an event where I was actually invited to, just uh, like just to part of the audience. Uh, it was a boxing match. Right. And the doctor who was covering that boxing match was not even a doctor. It was just like. Um, a paramedic with all respect to paramedics there yeah. are lifesavers there are colleagues and family but he had no interest at all in what was going on so he was using his mobile phone sitting cage side with a piece of gauze and with some analgesic spray and as soon as the fighter was down just go in and do what he thought would be good for tv and come out but right. still the guys over there did not receive the necessary basic. Yeah, yeah. not actually looked after, as it were. Yeah. 
And I was informed that in a lot of parts, of, in so many parts of the world, do, uh, fighters did not receive any kind of medical care during their fights, during their uh, competitions. Mm. So um, I took it upon myself that I do have the skills. I think I have the knowledge necessary and the tools for the trade. So why don't I just step up to it? Amazing. Volunteered for a couple of events, developed the understanding, met some tremendous guys, uh, legends, absolute legends. One of them is... Within the medical field or just the fighting no, field? No, right. within the fighting community. And being the only doctor and one of, one of very few doctors doing that, we became easily connected. Okay. Um, um, I must say, I'll give a big shout out to uh, a very dear friend, a bigger brother, and um, a mentor who taught me a lot about the trade, Mr. Mark Goddard. The uh, Mark Goddard. Well, I, well, I know Mark because, of course, Mark, I, my guys have fought at Bristol, you know, the Bristol at Meltdown, and Mark's big uh, good friends with the guys down there, Simon O'Brien and Paul Sutherland. So it's a, it's a small world, right? Oh, so, so yeah, you, very small world. You, got, you got involved with Mark. All right. Brilliant. Yes, and he's, also, he's, a, uh, he's yeah. a good level BJJ guy as well. Absolutely, he's a legend. He's a legend. He's good man. And um, uh, from there, from there, I actually met a lot of people, especially with the IMMAF, International Mixed Martial Arts Federation. Yeah, yeah. Um, an international organization, non-profit, um, super, um, with the objective of making MMA an Olympic sport. And I've worked with these guys for a very long time now and um, managed to meet the uh, medical committee who honorably I was inducted into a few years ago. The, uh, so the medical I, committee of of UFC, how, what is that? That's interesting. Because I was going to, one of my questions yeah. was going to be, do the UFC appoint you? Is it, a, how does that work? Because I find... Like you, I like behind the scenes stuff. So when I'm watching the yeah. cage, of course I'm watching the fighters, but I love all the other jobs because you go, that's a that's a job. So when the doctors come in or even the guys who open, because I had a friend, Scott Faraday, who was on this podcast actually, who started his kind of UFC career as the door opener. And even that has its yeah. own process, right? Um, yes. So what, what's the kind of seat, what's the process of being a doctor then? Yeah, who do you, who is your your well, boss, if you like? Um. Act, well, my boss differs from uh, event to event, depends on the organization. But okay. in IMMF, most of my work in uh, MMA involves the IMMF. And uh, there are a group of world-class doctors, uh, Dr. David Wang from the States, and he's a Ronan uh, sports uh, physician. Mm -hmm. And he's been covering the... Um, uh, NFL, NBA, and uh, NCAA, and lots of all of these competitions. Uh, Dr. Randa Basharon from the States as well, and she's, an, she's a trauma and orthopedic surgeon and who has been covering uh, UFC for so long, and uh, they're part of that medical committee. Uh, Professor Dan Healy from Ireland, he's a neurologist who's mm -hmm. always been involved actively in uh, MMA and combat sports, usually because of his interest and in his work about uh, brain injuries and I've discovered that there are there's a group of world-class doctors but very few of them so it makes that network extremely small and I've, okay. I was absolutely privileged to join that club and you're you're part of that you're part of that gang 
Yes, I'm part of that club at the moment. Amazing. See, this is another thing. Who even knew? I didn't even know this. He's like one of the big guns in the whole UFC. That's very impressive. That is that's impressive. And, uh, my actual involvement in the UFC came when the UFC returned back to London uh, a month ago. Mm. And uh, it was through the uh, good recommendation of uh, Mark Goddard and uh, Dr. Randa Bacheron that, mm-hmm. okay, uh, you're running an event in London. We have one of our guys who's in the UK at the He's moment. He's right there and, in sunny uh, Essex. He's right there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I was actually uh, honored to uh, cover that event uh, with a group of amazing doctors and surgeons. And it was a successful event. It was uh, an absolute. I, I have to say that card, that recent UFC card, it went into my top three of all time. Top one London event and top three of all time events. It was outstanding. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to, because of course I wasn't there to have been there and even more to have worked it. I bet it was in Scott, my friend worked it and he said, Matt, it was, you've never heard anything like it. It was incredible. Whether that's because it's the first time we'd been back in the, the UFC had been back in London for ages, but he said the atmosphere was electric. I think it was what I would call a perfect event. Yeah, that's what Dana White said, didn't he? Perfect event. The crowd, the setup, the logistics, the fight card, the people involved, everything. I'm... (laughs) Most of the time, uh, when I walk out of an event, I do brainstorm about what could have gone wrong on how to prevent it and yeah. what could have gone better. That was From, the from a medical point of view or just in, in totality? In totality. In totality. Yeah. Primarily medical point, but in totality. That was the only event in my recent memory that was picture perfect wow that's amazing to hear what and to be a part of that i watched every second of that on tv of course but to be a part of that you're going to keep that press uh badge aren't you oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh well it also has a very special moment because um i met uh paddy pimblett that event and I was how was his, it paddy's uh, fun isn't he but did you like him did oh, you did you understand what he was talking what am i talking about you you actually speak better english than me but even even us even the brits right we don't understand necessarily the scouser accent so Pat, where um, are we paddy pimlin yes um the guy is well not judging about the uh the skills that he has which is tremendous really he's got a chin of iron that guy he's uh Granite chin, absolute lovely personality, very skillful. He wasn't just the uh, Cage Warriors champion for nothing. Yeah. He is a champion already. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that he is one of the next big stars in the UFC. Yeah. And uh, his post-fight medical exam was fun. I should not be declaring anything medical related. No, 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 no. But that was the first thing. Well, that was the first time I um, came in peace with the term scouser. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I never knew what a scouser was. And at that stage, um, with Paddy's amazing accent, yeah, I never knew was he cursing a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paddy, Paddy and Molly are basically scouser 101, right? They, that is, yeah. if you want to know anything about those two that's it <laughs> yeah so, and uh managed to have a lovely uh selfie with them and 
uh, a very short, like five second video clip when I uh, when I just threw out the Liverpool slogan, like "You'll never walk alone." It's like, yes, that's it. You're right, man. This bumps. It was a lovely moment for me personally. Yeah, he's going to be a superstar because it's interesting, isn't it? That actually, you know, the, any sport, but it's a, that mixture of. You know, fans tune in. Yes, of course, for the skill set, but also for the entertainment. That's why Connor was so good. Love him or loathe him. He he was the first to bring that sort of sharp talk, not not just talking trash, but the kind of funny, sharp talk to the game. He raised that whole level. And of course, you can't be just that. If you haven't got the skills as well, then there's no reason to keep watching. But the mixture is what makes the superstars, doesn't it? Yeah, um, this is one of the most beautiful things is that um, when the UFC started, a lot of people who tuned in thought it was something just like the WWF or WWE. Yeah. But then it turned out, oh, no, that's modern day gladiator games. There is blood. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, Yeah, literally. So um, it appeased a a growing crowd. And... um, a lot of the people who really understood it and knew who's who in the roster were people who were actually practicing martial arts. Yes, yes. But when, <clears throat> when Connor came up and he started all these uh, show business, yeah, he gave the UFC glamour that wasn't there before. That's a good, that's a good a point, of, absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of people started following it because of him. Yeah. Regardless, loving or hating, I I remember my father saying that. Now, I I don't like this man. I'm waiting to see him lose. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when my father knew Habib. Yeah. And when my father started his own Instagram account, he saw that one of my photos with himself with Habib, and he said, "Like, do you know this guy?" So, yeah, yes, I do know. All right. <laughs> then my father started to have a different appreciation and understanding of what I do. Rather than just saying, don't waste your time and focus away from your career and do lots of side stuff and come stressful in your job. Now my father does understand what I do. <laughs> that's that's okay. So that, that was actually later. That was going to be one of my questions is how, because oh, yeah. you have gone different avenues. But yeah, have you have you found that some people will be like, stay to what you're doing? But, but that, that answers that. He's actually supporting yeah. your kind of various avenues, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, if I... If you may, um, I just wanted to finalize that point where how I was involved in MMA. Mm. Uh, it was uh, uh, with, your, with all these competitions with Mark Goddard, the wonderful team at IMMF. Um, I managed to uh, be attracted to the professional uh, MMA uh, circuit because IMF is basically amateur. Although I would say that the people in IMMF are more professional than any professional organization. Uh, around the world really because yeah because the the tournament system that they have which spans over a week where athletes have to uh, they start fighting or or competing at a knockout system Mm. you don't have room for foul play you don't have time for massive weight cuts you don't have you've got strict testing you've got anti-doping so when you have a welterweight or a middleweight the likelihood that these people are fighting in their walking weight is more than 90%. Mm, mm, mm. And they are their athleticism, their professionalism is at a world-class level. Yeah. And yeah. they maintained that for a week. 
I mean, the only athletes I know who would maintain that level of athleticism and competitiveness over a week are in non-combat sports. Mm. But in MMA, which is all at the top, well, you've got the best of the best. Yeah. And most of the people who actually graduate from the IMMF pool are world champions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got Mohammed Mokhtayev. He came out of the IMMF. Did he? He was out, he was or, out of that. Yeah. That. Yes. Um, Duncan Leroy. Out of that as well. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of guys who are really, really, uh, uh, well, how can I say? It? Yeah. Where, did, where does Hamza I'm, fight out of? He's Sweden, isn't he? Uh, Hamza is originally from Chechnya and uh, he's fighting out of Sweden. And I've had the honor of meeting him and the wonderful. Yeah, I saw a picture he- of you and him on, on your on your Instagram feed. Is he is he yes. again, he's another interesting character, isn't he? Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, um I've known him personally since he fought in uh, Brave. I've covered his fights when he was in Brave Combat Federation. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, I had a I met his uh, coaches, uh, Andreas and uh, Reza Madadi, and wonderful guys, wonderful guys. Uh, regardless of what you see on TV, he's a very, very humble, uh, understanding, kind person, always respectful. Um, I've seen him in his pre-fight. Uh, I've actually uh, been with him in his pre-fight preparation uh, for the uh, Brave fights, his weight cuts, and I have never seen him foul talk anyone. He was always respectful uh, in my presence, and I imagine he he's one of those genuine guys who uh, fights for a reason. It's not just like fame or uh, glory, which he's Mm. entitled to. Yeah, but he had a reason. To pick up fightings, a very, very strong personal reason to pick up that career. What was as, it? As with most fighters, do you know what? What is his story? I don't actually. Uh, I, know. I think I, I think it was something like a personal trauma when he lost a family member. Okay. I think it's all over social media where yeah, he, yeah, uh, yeah. he vowed that he would uh, not make his family suffer and always be there to provide them and becoming world champion mm. in order to achieve that. Something that I admire and respect because as a father of four. That's what would you. That's what you would do for your sure. family. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would go and risk limb and life f- to provide for your family, and uh, that's what most of the fighters do. Yeah. Unfortunately, when people do that and go to the extremes of sacrifice in terms of even sacrificing their own well-being by doing massive weight cuts, or yeah, that's of, that's a real issue, right? That's a real issue. Yeah. Trying to trying to get that kind of false gain. Because, you know, by the time you've hydrated, you uh, yeah, I, anyway, don't even get me started on weight yeah, cuts. I, I, I'm, I'm completely against it. I'm, I'm completely against it because the amount of harm that you cause to yourself is just sometimes irreparable. And also the ability to, uh, as far as I understand, I mean, you're, you're the expert, of course, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I understand, the kind of cerebral damage from a knock, a dehydrated brain is very different from a hydrated brain, right? Is that correct? That's absolutely. I mean, no matter how big you are, the amount of skin, scalp, and bone covering your brain is literally identical or very similar between a person who weighs 50 kilograms and, a one, and someone who weighs 
200 kilograms. Right, 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 yeah. Of course, your neck muscles and your flexibility and your reaction time makes a difference. Mm. But if you're struck with a knockout blow, it's almost the same. Yeah. It's so that the uh, the content of your body, and your the water content, the hydration status, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. That, that's that that's the thing um linked to that a little bit that i have that i haven't i haven't either of my ramadans i mean i'm speaking to someone who's who have done it his whole life but i haven't it's never the food that is the difficulty is it it's the water Absolutely. it's the water that kills you it's like whoa that's a that's one that have to cop the food is like whatever i'm not i'm not i'm not a foodie you know what i mean i kind of eat to, i eat so i can get to the next training but it's the water that when it's thrown me has been like whoa that took a while it took a few days to get used to that and so i, I know what you mean about the dehydration hmm. yes and also th- that risk uh, of brain injury is actually why in in our gym which you are one of our members and you're a family member you're one of the founders of our uh, gym Thank after you. its reincarnation um <laughs> uh that's why I was uh, extremely against having any form of sparring between children, especially when they train kickboxing or something like that. Oh, kickboxing is fun when you have a child go against a heavy bag and unleash all that stress and they become extremely calm when they go back home. You have all the praise from the parents. Uh, but I'm extremely against any form of striking martial arts at a very young age where there are strikes to the head because you do not know the extent of damage that may sustain. Mm. And in terms of weight cuts and boxing, I'm absolutely against it. Yeah. Weight cuts in martial arts, I'm absolutely against it. Unfortunately, it's um, a tradition that's been held on for so long and no matter how much we try to regulate it or how much we try to uh, stop it, People would find ways around it. It would. I always. I thought about this, like they do in um, IBJJF stuff. And I don't know if this is possible. I don't know if it's possible from a business point of view. I know that's not the thing to look at, but that has to be considered, yeah. right? IBJJF, you weigh in as you go into the pit. You weigh yes. in. They do your gear. You go into the pit. So you would basically weigh in what five minutes before you fight. Would would that ever be possible in the UFC or not? Would it make a difference? Um. Uh, I'm not really the thing, the thing is that people know when they're weighing in, mm, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. might start a weight cut before. Oh, that. yeah, that's they even do, yeah, that's okay, that's a fair yeah, point, yeah, it doesn't make a difference. What, well, um, one of the models that uh, all the people try to find gaps in it, one of the models that are set up in modern combat sports that I really praise a lot is the one FC model, right? What do they where, do? Remind me, where they, they, they actually have serial weight measurements for the athletes. Ah. And um, and obviously you have a certain margin where you can't fight in. Oh, that's interesting. So, so they so they weigh you what while you're trading. So a certain amount of time out before yes. the time, and then, oh, that's a good idea. Like that's I didn't know that yeah, actually I'm, about I'm one. Not, um, I've read about it and I've asked a lot of people about it. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been updated on it uh, as of recent. But the one of C model is something that can be considered and should be considered in different hmm. sports. I like one FC. Again, you can you can tell because of course you've got an ex fighter as the owner. By the way, I'm a big Dana White fan as well. And I don't believe that you have to necessarily be the fighter. I like him. But I do like one. Um, I think it's it's a nice promotion, isn't it? Yes. And the same model we uh, we do have adapted in the IMMF because 
the whole idea of competing every day for a week doesn't allow you to lose a lot of weight to mm. cut down on your weight and gain all that walking weight back again on time for your flight because yeah. by the time you just drop like um, 10 pounds overnight for a flight in the morning and then go back and rehydrate and then start cutting down in less than 24 hours it's just impossible yeah it makes and also the other thing as well it, it's a, it's an it's a it's a this is now from a coaching point of view it's an illusion to think that you're that you're going to have that power advantage because you all just like I always like when I've competed I I walk around within three kilos of my fight weight if I can't lose it within a few days with no hard effort then I'm not that weight because the weight you are determines that like you and me you, you're like six foot one I'm five foot eight or whatever it is we we will never no matter what weight we will never fight the same way with different structure yeah. no matter how we try to contrive that illusion so therefore if, if you're kind of lying to that it affects your um, skills and your tactics and I think people should just look this is your walk around weight you know as long as you're eating well etc that's the build you are learn the skills that fit that build otherwise the rest is just a bit of a contrivance and an illusion i think that, that that's absolutely true i mean for someone who um weighs almost 115 kilograms at my size uh, learning how to fight and learning how to uh, practice martial arts in a way that adapts to my size made me a better guard passer a better mm. grappler mm, mm. i mean i can't really go on and uh, compete with the lighter smaller guys and try to outbox them and just be ridiculous i mean yeah. i'll be gassed out in a few minutes but learning all the other stuff that um, fit well to my belt yeah. made me a better martial artist yeah i think that that culture is still there the, the weight cut culture is still there because it allows certain personalities or certain names to meet against each other mm -hmm. oh, okay yeah and, fair enough yeah yeah and um i think that with the whole idea of athletes going from one one weight class into one other weight class and the glamour of being a champion in multiple weight classes might actually help um uh in uh, minimizing or reducing that whole uh weight cutting culture right yeah 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 and, uh, yeah making it acceptable to sort of yeah cross kind of cross weight um fight. Uh, cross weight and actually to have fighters of the same size and same weight meet against each other mm. and i'm absolutely uh against the whole idea of anyone can fight anyone like in open weight classes um, open weight classes and grappling, yes, there's some beauty and glamour about it. Yeah, I, I, li I like fighting in the absolute because for me, the absolute is still very much um, kind of the pure test of my. I mean, I, yes. I know grappling's not all martial arts. I like that idea. And actually, one of my best friends who's on it, Jason Shields, who we fought in the finals in Rome, and he's your weight and I'm my way. And I do, I do like that idea, but I agree with you. It's not a great idea. I mean, you, it, it couldn't be Well, it was the first five UFCs, I think were open weight as if I remember rightly, and it yeah. couldn't go beyond that. That was crazy. Right. Yeah. And, um, but, but in the striking, uh, competition, I'm, well, uh, I would say I, I've covered a few events where there was an open weight class and striking competition. Those were the only events that I had a heart rate possibly 
equal to or more than the actual fighters. Fighters, yeah, yeah, that's that's dangerous and and kind of irresponsible. I would probably go out yeah. to say, yeah, it's not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, well, if you hit me with full force, kind of with your bolt behind you, I'm going. It's going to be different from if I hit you on the chin, full force with my. Yeah, it's it makes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, <laughs> although it would. Be, it's bringing a lot of attraction and attention, but it's not one of the best ideas. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, well, yeah. not from the medical port, from medical point of view. Yes. I, I mean, um, I do have concerns about that. Now, listen, I am very aware of your time and you've been generous with your time and I could speak to you forever, but I'm just going to um, just ask you a couple more things. In fact, one more thing before we go, because absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I, I do have some time. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm surprised that my phone hasn't run again, which is, uh, Wow, something I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. So, so um, just to kind of you know line it up with the kind of theme of this podcast is you clearly uh, things that were noticeable about you from when I first met you. Your passion for what you do, right now. I have now interviewed so many people who love what they do and who are all successful. So that I have drawn the conclusion that passion, often more often than not leads to success. And you are just yet another example of that. So let me tell you this then. And I, I say this to all my guests, it's, it's a difficult question, but do your best. Um, whenever people leave a podcast, for me at least, I like to have in my head one gem of wisdom that sticks in my head saying, oh, that guy who's from a mine who's living in the UK, he said this one thing. So try and summarize for up one gem of wisdom from you, how people could basically let's say some people are waking up in the morning, not really loving what they're doing, right? That whatever that, whatever that may be, give them a bit of advice of how we can get from that life to something where they're living like a life like you, where you clearly love what you do. It's, it's hard. You work very hard. It can be stressful, but you love it. How can we get there? Not to be a surgeon necessarily, but to get there. Well, uh, I, I, I told you it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I can go on looking at, speaking for hours about that i would say if uh, instead of just one line if it's possible if you would allow me in a few lines of course uh, of course of course like highlights highlights always look forward always look forward and uh, it never ends with you hmm. and always be true to yourself in the sense that uh Look forward and that the hardships never last. Mm -hmm. um, the difficult times never last. Look forward to what you would gain for yourself, your family, your loved ones on an emotional level, spiritual level, financial and materialistic. Although we try to find happiness uh, in ourselves through materialistic and non-materialistic aspects, but still always look forward to the reward. Yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely I think people should be okay with accepting that yeah, we like material yeah. stuff. Life is not the be all and end all of material stuff, but I think it's fine to accept, yeah, I'd like to have some money. That's fair yeah. enough too, right? Yeah. And always look forward for the gratitude and reward. I mean, that that that's what would fuel you to become better. Yeah. Don't yeah. expect it, but look I mean, don't let it stop you, but look forward to it. And um, be true to yourself. I mean, don't take shortcuts. Put the hard work and believe in the process. 
And if, if someone and if if someone had not yet discovered the thing that they love, right? Like, you know, you love martial arts and a lot of your world has kind of been filled with that, but also your surgery. Any ideas for how we could find a thing that we love? If you haven't found it, it just means that either you haven't been looking hard enough or it's not uh, it's not time to find it yet. Okay. You yeah. haven't developed the skills, the knowledge, or the personality to find it. For example, if I found martial arts um, or my passion to martial arts in a different setup, I won't be as dedicated to it as I am today. Um, my uh, progress, I won't say my excellence, but my progress and success in hand and upper limb surgery or in uh, orthopedic and trauma surgery. I'm not saying that I'm one of the best. No, absolutely. I'm still in the learning process. But I didn't like it and didn't excel in it until I was actually in it. Mm, right. And then I learned how to adapt and become a better person in what I'm doing. And then I discovered that, oh, I'm getting good feedback. People are praising. Patients are thankful. Um, I'm able to provide for my family. I'm doing better. Now, now, that is one of the strongest drivers for me to become better and just fuels you on, just pushes you on. So if you haven't found what your passion is about yet, it means that either you've not been working hard enough or it hasn't found you yet. I haven't found you yet. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, sometimes there's a timing issue, isn't there? Just, you yeah, know, yeah. The kind of the skies open when they open, right? That's, yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you just have to focus on yourself, developing yourself, believe in the process, develop yourself rather than look for the outcome. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. That's great advice. So listen, you guys listening, we got a lot of stuff we got to unpack there. I told you you'd like him, didn't you? He's one of my favorite guys that I've met here in Amman. He's a wonderful human being. So brother, thank you so much for your time. It was, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for your time. And you guys listening, I say this every week and I will say it every week. Take a moment to share this stuff. Not because I particularly need my platform built, but because you know someone will benefit from what we've spoken about. All right. So take a moment to share it with them. And the other thing, of course, if you have people in your lives that you love, tell them, don't leave it till it's too late. Tell them. And as ever, I'll see you next time on the Buddhist Millionaire podcast. Lots of love. Bye.